Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dash Radio Show with your hosts, Don Wright DeBrantz and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Dash Radio. I'm Dawn Wright DeBrantz and my co-host is here, Mr. Peter Mingles. Peter Mingles right here. And we have a fantastic guest tonight, Dr. Craig B. Weiner, and he's the author of three books on attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. And, um, well, for just to say that I've been told that I have ADD, I know my son was diagnosed with ADD, and, you know, some of us just flat out refuse to get rid of it, but I know what it's like to have a son who, growing up, it was a real struggle for, and and parenting a child with ADHD is a real challenge. So it's a real pleasure to have you, and uh, and I'd love to hear more about your work, so I'm pretty excited to have you as a guest. I know that both of us have... Uh, have uh, as parents you know there's there's nothing that is a bigger challenge both internally and in a million different ways uh to than to have a child who's challenged um and and in in a lot of ways gifted you know <laughs> like as somebody who has 15 windows open at all times and as peter just joked about um you know that that they could put me under glass and have me studied i am somebody who has to be doing 500 things at the same time or i'm bored and i check out so it's a pleasure to have you and uh, and to learn more about ourselves and our kids and uh, to know that you're out there doing the work you're doing. So welcome, sir. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So so first of all, how did you get into all of this? I mean, ADHD and ADD are, um, are, are an amazingly heavy challenge in today's world. Um, sometimes we talk about how these things just didn't seem to be present when we were growing up. And um, or maybe they just didn't have a name for it. So, like, how did all of this develop for you? Well, you know, I was working a lot with kids, and so many kids were getting um, diagnosed with ADHD. So I thought I'd try to figure out a way to help help the kids uh, uh, get along better, achieve more, cooperate more. So that's what I set out to do. If, if I could ask a question as well, my daughter is graduating from high school, and one of her majors that she's planning on, because you really don't know what you're doing when you're 18 or 19, I don't know, but she's going into psychology. Did you start off that way, or did it just kind of happen or evolve over time? Well, I, um, my father was a kind of a well-known psychologist, so it was in my uh, family. I learned very early in life about psychology, and I just uh, was interested in and, and kept doing it, so... It's a kind of a family tradition. Got it. Okay, good. So you started in school, and then you started working with mostly children or regular people as well. Like, why did you? Well, I, yeah, I did a. I had a. I did a postdoctoral uh, program, and it was uh, focused on uh, working with kids. So I learned a specific skill of working with kids, and uh, with, this is the most popular diagnosis for kids. So this is a place to study. Now, this from, diagnosis. From, Right from my um, perspective, because I was a, when I was growing up, you know, we had kids that just had a hard time sitting still. We thought it was just that's the way young boys were. <laughs> that's right. You know, because that you know, and I would figure, well, that's what they're supposed to do, kind of like in nature. You know, they're supposed to be looking under rocks and doing everything else, and you know, maybe they might get eaten by that saber-toothed tiger because they're not really paying attention. But that's what they kind of do, and that's how they kind of create and learn in their world. And we didn't have these labels like we did. And I'm in. I just turned uh, fifty. I'm going to be fifty-one. So when I was growing up, none of my friends had any of this stuff. They were just misbehaving, you know, or maybe just, you know, they got ants in their pants. So they were told to and, sit down and not say anything. Yeah. And, and and quite honestly, one of my issues with this diagnosis is that we're drugging our kids, you know, like running around like crazy drugging our kids. And, you know, it took a long time for us to go ahead and actually go the psychiatrist route and, my son begged to try meds. Um, and by the time he was, I think, in eighth grade, he asked if he could please try meds. Of course, he dropped so much weight, he couldn't eat. He had all of these side effects from these meds. And so 
yes, he had an opportunity to think in a straight line, but in the same breath, he had tons of negative side effects. And, you know, how do you deal with the fact that we're we're medicating these kids? All of our kids are getting medicated in the United States for this thing that just seems to be in this massive epidemic. Um, it, where is this coming from? Do well, you know? Exactly. <laughs> well, I have an idea about what it okay. is. Uh, it's true for all these diagnoses. They've got more and more diagnosis. And the primary doctors and all the, not just psychiatrists now, are uh, familiar with all these different names and conditions. And there's medications that go with each condition. So there's a whole popular uh, attention based on labeling somebody having a neck, uh, having a probability of a diagnosis because there's so many. And then there's all these medicine treatments for them. So. If you name it and they have a drug for it, then they then that becomes the treatment. So I set out to say, how can I help kids without going with the medicine, if 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 at all possible? Because, like you said, what are the risks of side effects? And plus, the long-term data says that, like with most drugs, you you get used to it and it doesn't really have the same effect year after year as when you first took it. So that a lot of kids are getting their um, attention. Um, uh, heightened by the drug, but over the long term, they really aren't looking any better than the kids who never did the meds. So for me, it was much more important to figure out how can we get the behaviors to change in by using psychology. Totally and agree. So one of my questions would be, and maybe you can kind of walk us through it, because I don't know uh, when you went to school, but I, and I don't know how old you are relative to me, but you've been doing this for a really long time, and you're very successful. You've written the books, and you're running the clinics, and you've taught at the university, so I'm sure you're as you're, you're familiar with maybe our background. With I'm just a regular guy hanging out with my friends when I was going to college. We had a couple of people that were misbehaved as well. They would have probably now fit into whatever box the insurance companies need them to fit in because you got to categorize them if you're going to put them into the insurance thing. And then when did it already start to happen where things were labeled as ADD or I don't even know the difference between ADD and ADHD. And it just seems like we're throwing the alphabet soup at these kids with A's and D's and H's in there. So what is the difference and how did that evolve? So if you can, kind of bring us through the evolution of that and maybe why it seems like there are so many more children now that are having some challenges, whereas if I were to say, well, you know, if I could have teleported my body into 2013, I would have said, wait a minute, this is different than the 80s and this is different than the 90s. What's happening? So walk okay, us through so, the evolution, and then walk us through what's happening now. All right. So the, the, the diagnosis used to have different names. I used to call it like minimal brain dysfunction, but there's okay. never a brain dysfunction that you can't you can't diagnose ADHD with anything any observed biology. So there's no biology that you can say this biology says ADHD. So that that they drop that, and it's just uh, the. The problem is lots of different things, I believe, that you know, the, the discussion we just had on the diagnoses, everybody gets categorized. And then you've got the changes in how we bring up kids and socialize kids. In the old, I think we had more emphasis on conformity to some extent and uh, rigidity of, in classrooms. Kids were required to sit. If you didn't sit, you're, it was very, very uh, strict. So in some ways, uh, that has its own side effects. And then the question yeah, they just is, went to the they just went to the principal's office more often. Yeah, you know, and, and or, yeah. There was also intact families, more intact families. So there was more there was more possibility for the kids. Everybody's going in different directions, so the the, the chance for kids to coordinate in a group with, with the family group and with their peers, there's a lot more isolation. And when you go from you go into the classroom, you have to learn to function in groups. You have to learn to accommodate to what other people want. Now, ADHD is, is uh, it, it occurs, in my view, it occurs under conditions where you have to adjust and accommodate to somebody else's agenda or to adversity because these kids aren't doing those behaviors when they're doing tasks they initiate and enjoy or they're not doing it when they have a, doing a task that's associated with success. They do it under conditions of evaluation, restriction, uh, when they they uh, required to uh, not getting what they want or wanting what they don't have, these are these are behaviors that occur under very particular kinds of conditions. So I, that gave me trouble to see it as a medical problem if it's so situational. 
So what is the difference between ADD and ADHD? Or well, is there one? The, well, the people make a lot of differences. One, they say, is that the person's reacting to the world in a slow temp, uh, tempo, and the other's then they're um, more impulsive. But my view is that it's one just lacks the hyperactive. So the kid who's ADD is more likely doing what I call um, avoidance behaviors or distracted behaviors. And the ADHD kid is, is is much more somebody that was, as a child, was much more involved with getting more attention. They were monopolizing uh, what people did. They were controlling through loudness and high activity levels and doing provocative, um, provoking people, provoking behaviors. The ADD kids are typically much more quiet and just not participatory in what you want them to do. So they're just not reacting to or keeping up with uh, what's what's the required agenda. Hmm. Fascinating. So, so somebody who's checking out all the time as a child could very well be ADD. Um, you know, they're just not really into what's going on. I mean, I know, like with my son, he sharpened an entire pencil during math class until there was no pencil. He would yeah. tap, 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 tap the pencil. No matter how many times I would put it down on the desk and say we need to focus on homework, he couldn't keep his attention there. Um, you know, he's 22 now. He's looked at me and said, I've never read a book for enjoyment. There's never been a time that I could actually do that. He read his first book at 22. Okay. And he got three quarters of the way through it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so you know, it, meaning for enjoyment purposes, I don't mean for uh, for school, you know. But so, so that kind of thing. There was a lot of hyperactivity. You had to staple into the chair to get him to sit down, kind of stuff. But when when somebody's got regular ADD, um, they could just be checking out, and you wouldn't even really know. They could. I mean, meaning you wouldn't. Um, that's, uh, for me, it would seem like they could slip through the cracks easier for parents because you wouldn't realize that they weren't focusing or able to focus quite so much because they're not really speaking up and getting in everybody's business. Yes, exactly. So they may gotcha. slip under the radar more. But the gotcha. problem for all of us is to how do you account for the lack of um, doing an activity that we want the child to do? I mean, there's lots of kids that they're not doing it. So then the question is, how do you explain it? Mm-hmm. Do you explain it as a brain delay, or do you explain it in terms of um, what the person's learning history is with that kind of material? Like if your son was reading and not feeling as if he was um, as competent as the other kids, reading is a public exhibition, so he has to stand up in front of the class and make mistakes. So a lot of kids learn to avoid reading for lots of different reasons, and once they avoid it, now they're behind, and school is a very difficult place because it's all based on reading. And so the more it, the, the more failure and the more discomfort, the more you're going to get these distracted responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember him telling me that he would read the same thing over and over and over and over and over, and it just was going by him from a retention standpoint. And, and you know, those types of things, I, I know those things happen to me when I'm, checked out or distracted or other things are going on for me. I could read the same sentence 52 times and have the same issue. I have a 141 IQ, but I can be distracted by my life. You know, he told me the walls distract me. They're white. And so, you know, like I I, I know how hard that is to hear as a parent and knowing your child is highly intelligent and 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 wondering is it is it is it something that happens to really highly intelligent kids most of the time? I mean, is it something that they have to overcome um, a, a, a struggle with more often, you know, than than a kid who's of average intelligence, you know? Because I've been just, I've watched it even with my son growing up and paid attention to these things and seen super highly intelligent kids for dealing with this stuff that I saw. And then all of a sudden I went, you know, I'm I'm a highly intelligent human being. I think that if I was in today's classroom, I would have been diagnosed. I wasn't, like, acting up in a problem in school, and I didn't have a lot of real issues where people were talking about me behaviorally in school. Um, but, you know, as an adult, I've had a lot of friends and, and a lot of colleagues joke about how clearly I have ADD and how was I not medicated as a child. <laughs> right, Peter? <clears throat> I had, hold on, I was on mute. <laughs> 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 but we're we're a little bit late for our first commercial.
commercial. Okay, so we have a commercial. Axel can spin some records, and we're going to come back because we want to get into this. Or am I spinning the records because Axel's not around? I thought I saw you've got a comprehensive video communication suite that will deliver more power, more impact, and more features than any other option. The iWowie Video Suite offers all these powerful tools and more. Multi-purpose video email for individualized one-to-one messages. Powerful video conferencing for collaborating many-to-many. Fast, efficient broadcasting for elegant one-to-many communications. There's no complicated separate products, no confusing monthly subscription plans, and no special hardware to buy. If you've got a webcam and internet access, you have all the tools you need to strengthen relationships, expand any business, touch lives, and change the world. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronce and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. And now... Back to the show. And we are back with the Dash Radio, and uh, we're talking about ADD in children and parenting your child with ADD with Dr. Craig Weiner. So welcome back. Hi. And um, where should we begin? Go ahead, Pete. Well, I was, um, I, I'm, as a parent, I am always trying to look at, you know, what stuff is happening with my kids and things like that. And there's always the difference between maybe that's just the way they are and it's something that has to be kind of managed, or maybe there's a brain chemical that might be missing. So some of it might be things that can be learned, and then some of the stuff, I I guess, Dr. Weenie, you can't fix without fixing the imbalance maybe with the chemistry that would be involved. I think, though, our society for whatever reason, seems to try to fix it with a drug first. And what I hear you suggesting is that maybe sometimes you might need that, but maybe sometimes there's other things that need to be addressed. So you've helped educate us the difference between ADD and ADHD. The HD guys are probably a little bit more misbehaving. Um, But what about the difference between, you know, just stuff that people have to kind of work their way through or or compensate for or – the challenges with real brain chemistry issues. So maybe well, you bring you can up help. some, yeah, you bring up some important issues. That uh, first of all, there's the way you live in the. Anybody who has kids knows that they're all different from the start. So people learn differently depending on on their biology, but they're still learning. Now, certain kinds of biology is going to increase your probability of learning what I call learning ADHD behaviors. So that it's learning doesn't discount biology, and the other thing is your the way you live in the world shapes your biology. So that if you exercise a lot, your body is very different than if you don't. So the notion that that if you change you change learning and change what the kid's doing, they're going to change their brain as well. So there's always a, a cause and consequence problem with this uh, the uh, it's called biological determinism, which is somehow these are chemicals that are making you do these behaviors. Now, clearly, a kid who's very, very active compared to another kid is more likely to have the parent have to set limits and watch out for danger differently than a kid who's very placid, so that you can see the social interactions are going to be much different depending on the youngster. Like, ADHD is more likely if the youngster's got motor coordination problems, health problems, speech delays. These are all things that throw socialization off and make it more difficult to coordinate with each other and socialize the child. So some of those things might mean a chemical imbalance that might need to be managed with drugs? No, well, chemical imbalance is a fallacy. There's no chemical imbalance. There's, okay. There's, there's no, that, that was a, that was somebody, somebody who had to do with the drug companies said that as a part of a drug marketing thing. There's never been a chemical imbalance for ADHD because you can't, you can't diagnose ADHD from any observation of anybody's body or brain, brain biology. And if you look at kids' brains, the ADHD brains differ from non-ADHD brains, you don't know if it's a function of having 
if done ADHD all these years, your brain is going to develop differently. If, like if you look at a psychologist's brain versus a, a person who's not a psychologist, the brains are going to be different. There's a function of what you, what the person is doing. They had a mm. study that showed cab drivers in London had more advanced visual spatial cortex as a function of driving the cab for years. You see, the problem is how you live in the world changes your brain. Okay, so what do you recommend for for parents who have their kids come home and, and the teachers and everybody's saying, your kid has ADHD or your kid has ADD, and, we, and, and then they take them to get diagnosed and they go through the battery of, like all the tests and the questions and the whatevers, and they're facing the decision that all parents face when they're being told that either their kid's unruly or a disciplinary problem or they're just not they're not focusing and they're not in, um, and they've got ADD. So what are the steps that they can take that aren't running to a pharmacy and filling oh. a prescription? Yeah, so that, that's a very important thing is the drugs will give you the most quick, immediate thing. But it's the same thing as if um, you you came in and you were uh, had a, fifty pounds overweight. Like how quickly could you lose it? You have to kind of get into it in terms of this is going to be a slow, steady change of how you can help the child learn more self-reliance and learn to be uh, learn to self-manage much more. Most of these kids, I don't have to remember your son is if you didn't remind him or cue him or tell him, he wasn't going to he wasn't going to do it. So mm-hmm. I have a program that helps the parent shift so that the child starts to learn to self-manage. And the child starts to learn that the adult's trying to consider their perspective so that there's a notion of um, being in it together. So I'm not out to control the child, but I'm out to get the child to work with me to have a connected relationship. Because if you remember with your kids, is when you were okay and comfortable with each other, it was much easier to say yes to each other and cooperate. So I'm interested in how do you keep a relationship positive and um, mutually caring. So I have a whole, I, well, I wrote this parenting book to help parents learn the language and the way to shift so that the child is uh, much more interested in working with the parent and uh, going, co- keeping coordinated with the family rather than tugging and pulling about who's going to force who to do what. Outstanding. That's outstanding. And when because I know the- that... Go ahead, Don. I'm sorry. sorry go I was, ahead. I was inter- no, I was. I know that as you're starting to talk and you say write a book, there's probably a lot of parents right now that are looking for something to write with to be able to jot down where they can find that book, or what title they might have. So let's just, if, if we can, just give you a second to tell us where to go buy whatever it is that you have and which one would we buy. Okay. So the first two books were academic books where I talk about the kinds of concerns you just raised about the biology issues. Okay. And the, sec- the third book is called Parenting Your Child with ADHD, A No-Nonsense Guide for Nurturing, Self-Reliance, and Cooperation. And uh, I have a website at uh, com, And you could buy the, the uh, parenting book on any Amazon or Barnes & Noble stocks and in all the stores. And uh, it's um, you can, on, the, on the Internet, all, all over the Internet in terms of being able to get it and, uh, and through major bookstores. And since spelling counts, I just want to spell out your first and your last name. So it's Craig, C-R-A-I-G, and then it's W-I-E-N-E-R.com. So for those people that might be looking, it's Craig Wiener, so it's I before E, especially after W. So it's CraigWiener.com. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Now, you know, as a parent... You know, I think not maybe every parent is is built this way, but, you know, we love our kids. We define our lives by our kids. We do everything possible for our kids, and we want the world to be a perfect place, and yet sometimes as they're growing up, they're not perfect kids. You know, what ages do people start noticing that, wait a minute, maybe there might be something different with Johnny or Mary or Sally? And, and and when do you differentiate between, hey, these are just young kids, and they're like puppies, man. They're jumping all over the place, and like kittens, they're they're kind of goofy. And when and how does that brain start to develop? So what at what stage, if you were a young parent, would you be looking in and starting to say, say to yourself, there might be some issues here? Well, okay, so, yeah, they, they go as low as four now, they're recommending, to start to look carefully at what to what extent the youngster's not coordinating with you and responding to directions and limits and in behaving in an intrusive, loud way or not really participating and responding to 
keeping up with what the group is asking the child to do. But, you know, it's really important, I think, um, as young as you can to start to um, nurture these kinds of behaviors I'm talking about, which is how do you get the child to see, like, uh, you can, if the child's touching something you don't want them to touch, you can grab the object away and say, I have to keep this from you, or you could say, uh, you could go over to the child and say, would you please uh, put that back, it would it, it, it break, or if the child doesn't do it, you may have to go over and maybe take the thing, but then you take the object, but then what if he handed it back and said, could you please put this away and give the child a chance to make it right? There's so many subtle things you can do to, to keep your relationship and help the child to learn that they're competent, you trust them, and that they, they, it ended in a nice way. So there's so many different things parents can do with very young children to shape uh, behaviors, even if the child is rambunctious and more active than other kids. It's, it just makes make socialization a little harder, but you still want to shape new cooperative behaviors. So by age four, they're starting to, or a lot of people are now starting to figure out and started to probably even self-diagnose their own children. And then if they bring them to the doctors, the traditional doctors, it's usually, well, they, that's what that little pad is for, for writing a prescription. So usually the doctors are going to write a prescription for something. And from my son, who had been taking prescription medicine, he loved it because he's, I need this. But I felt a little bit of a glaze going over his eyes, if you will. It kind of like numbed him out, which might be great for coping with stressful situations, but I just noticed that, you know what, my son on that stuff was different from my son on not on that stuff, and besides the behavioral issues, I noticed the glazing over, and almost, I don't want to use the word zombie, but there was a little bit where you can just kind of look through them, and you see there was nobody home. Now, was that just an individual experience, or is that kind of like the overall downside of some of the drugs that they're giving the kids? Well, that's one of the downsides uh, with a large percentage, and then some kids may take the drugs and not have any uh, observable side effects, but for me, I'm more conservative in, in, in being careful with this stuff. Uh, you know, physicians are the ones people consult, but physicians don't study psychology in the kind of detail that you, it's possible if you are a psychologist. So, like, I, I look very carefully at how what people's reactions are, like if a parent is talking, um, extended talking, and how I watch the child and when the child starts to drop out. And so I learn, I try to help the parent and child learn to um, exchange and look more quickly so nobody goes on too long. So there's all sorts of subtle things you can do to change the amount of distractibility that's, that's being socialized through um, the give and take between people. And these things get overlooked in our medical world where it's just kind of you give a diagnosis and there must be something's wrong with you and then the drug corrects it. And it's just not, it, I find that it's possible to do many other things to help people. Perfect. And I think um, we're right around time for a break, so if Axel is ready, he can spin some stuff. We'll talk about more things on the other side. Savage Smokes is a new site on the scene dedicated to the trending electronic cigarette industry. If you are looking into e-cigs as an alternative to tobacco and have been disappointed by the ones you picked up at the gas station or you kept your money in your pocket because you didn't know which one to buy, head to SavageSmokes.com for honest and up-to-date electronic cigarette reviews on most e-cigs you see on the shelves. You've been listening to The Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronce and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the dash radio. And now, back to the show. And we are back with Dr. Craig Wiener, and we are talking about parenting your kids with ADD and ADHD. And, and um, you know, i got to tell you, as a mom, I really, really, really wish I had this book and has somebody explaining those things to me as a young mom um, with a kid who could not sit down and couldn't, you know, because I remember the fights and I remember the frustration and I remember giving up. I remember 
when it was suggested that I homeschool, almost having a nervous breakdown, saying I can't even do an hour's worth of homework. What are you talking about homeschool? <laughs> and so, so it's um, you know the failure that a young parent can feel like, um, just the simplest of tasks, and being able to go ahead and have some sort of a path to run on. And somebody saying that you can have a, a great relationship with your child and that there are inroads to this is just, it's like, I mean, all I can say is, you know, where were you 20 years ago? But um, <laughs> it's just awesome that you're doing the work you're doing. So, you know, uh, for those of you who haven't heard, get to www.craigweiner, that's C-R-A-I-G-W-I-E-N-E-R, is that correct? Yes. Okay, dot com. And, uh and and grab this book. So, you know, and and before I had asked you a question and and I'm I am curious about its answer, you know, I've I have wondered if the the kids who end up with these issues because you know they can't stay focused on stuff, um is there are they are they normally really intelligent kids? I mean, do they are they struggling to be put into the box? more than they are um, in any way learning disabled? Yeah, well, there's, well there's, that would be some of the, there's a higher probability of learning disabilities, but because those are the kids that are failing and that they, they may not participate and, and uh, persevere because of the lower probability of success. But in the case of a very bright person, think about that there's also a mismatch between their perspective and the perspective of others that would be um, make it so that it's kind of too repetitious, the learning is too slow in terms of um, most of us drop out if something's um, not uh, challenging. So that's for a percentage of kids, and perhaps in, for your son, it, he he may have perked up under other kinds of conditions if somebody came in and uh, talked about something he was pursuing on his, on his own, he may be much more engaged depending on the content and the oh pace my gosh. of the learning. He could sit in front of a new video game and he could learn every nuance and aspect and trick code and spend 10 hours and never break eye contact or mental focus. Well, that's but, right. And that, that, and that goes with, you know, that he has ultimate control over the pace and mm-hmm. nobody was telling him to go home and do it and you weren't judging. You'll go home and practice your, uh, your Game Boy. You know, nobody mm-hmm. was telling him that. <laughs> so it has a very these activities have a very different uh, learning history and associations with them. And he starts to get really good at it. And um, see, it, it, and then the, it might not have just been in the games. There may have been other things that he learned to do, or that for he, sure. Yeah. So there's lots of he may have had interests in all sorts of things that he pursued without distractibility or lack of uh, intensity. Mhm, and a very highly intelligent guy, and I yeah. mean, in his twenties, you know, totally impressive. Um, still, you know, like I mean, wants to constantly be doing something different and new, you know. And I know that for myself as well, you know, that that I find, you know, I get bored. I need to have fifteen things going at the same time. I'm much more productive in that capacity. And um, you know, I just feel like so many people are are just so busy throwing kids into these little, you know, little labels. And uh, instead of learning to work with them where they are and, and teach them where they are able to learn, you know, and that it, it just seems to me like somewhere there's a failure in the education system um, and, and in the way that we're doing things these days that, that this has become such an epidemic, you know, because I don't think every child just changed um, <laughs> in a matter of two generations. Is it is it? Today's society is it the education system? I mean, what are we doing that this is the result? Because this is clearly the result of something. Yeah, it, and nobody's really uh, got the the one answer to that. There's probably a whole collection of things. Uh, and some of it is is um, the accommodation that we used to. There's a requirement of to socialize a child that they have to kind of learn to adapt themselves to what others want. And mm-hmm. there's a kind of balance between understanding your child's perspective and what your child wants with what others want. And that's a that's a really subtle uh, problem. because And then to function in groups means you have to really give up what you want and just do what the teacher wants and what the school is requiring. So 
it's not one thing because you can over-control a child and have trouble and you can uh, over-accommodate to a child and have trouble. Uh, so there's a mixture there. But uh, a lot of it is just that as soon as the child's not participating or coordinating or doing what we want them to do, it's very quick to get these labels. And the other thing is this: these drugs increase achievement on the surface so quickly that then people are endorsing the symptoms. They say they go to doctors and say they... They that they have this, so they're like looking for the, to say they're ADHD because then they get access to a, to a drug that enhances performance about fifteen percent. So there's there's that problem. Mm-hmm. You get this with depressive people too. You get, that they'll, they'll as soon as they feel depressed, they go and they get a they get a medication rather than that's an opportunity to figure out what's wrong. It's an urgency when you're uncomfortable to try to figure out how to solve it. I don't want people suffering needlessly, but there's, there's, we're very, very quick to, to medicate without the notion that there's an opportunity to um, uh, change. Totally agree. Just, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember back in the day when uh, when I was 20 or 21 years, 21, 22 years old, and my husband and I went to marriage counseling. We were a young couple. My mother had died. My I had lost identical twins. I mean, like, I had a lot of stuff that came crashing down, a lot of death. And the doctor, the, the counselor looked at me told me that she thought I was bipolar, too, and wanted to put me on Prozac. And this is like an intake appointment. And I remember I never went back. I saw this woman a few years later. She asked me why I never went back. I told her I had three deaths in my family in a matter of, 16 months of my life and you wanted to put me on Prozac I'm like <laughs> and diagnosed me as bipolar too I think that these diagnoses just get thrown around instead of the real work of, of figuring out what's going on you know you put a black piece of tape over your, the oil light in your car and you never put oil in it and it's going to seize and it's going to break you know you got to figure out what's wrong you know and yeah. and I, I, I agree with you hold heart, wholeheartedly oh yeah it's, Really refreshing. So um, these, are, these seem to be complex issues that are almost individual for the family. Because what I've heard from you so far, some of it could be the kid, some of it could be the you know the box we're trying to make them fit into at that time. Some of it has to be relevant to parents. Some of it may be genetic. Is any of it diet? Like we eat differently than we did way back when, and now there's a lot of processed foods chemicals we're more probably toxic than ever before can you know processed foods like sugar and everything we're doing stuff with high fructose corn syrup could any of these be contributing factors too well i i assume that the the more exercise you get and the healthier you are the the more alert you are and the more less irritable you are and the better you feel and when you're in a good state like that it's easier to adjust to things and problem solve so all that's going to affect functioning but, you know, again, despite all these problems with health, you get the same kids doing activities they enjoy and initiate that they don't have any trouble. So wouldn't the same dietary things affect those performances as well? Yet they are sometimes do incredible things, yet they're floundering in school but doing great stuff when you look at what they learn about professional wrestlers or some of you won't read any books at school but they'll open a, King, a Stephen King novel and be it cover to cover. You know, it just depends on watching the kid and knowing what it is that they initiate and enjoy and seeing how they perform under those optimum conditions. So it's just um, maybe the things you're talking about will affect when the people have to adjust themselves because it's always harder to modulate for what other people want than to do what you want. Got it. I know right. for my <clears throat> sister, and I probably shouldn't bring my sister into this, but she's got some... <laughs> She's got. She adopted a couple of kids that came from different families, and all I know is, man, we give them a soda or any kind of candy, and those kids are like whacked out. It's like you know, catnip for cats. So I don't know how much diet might have any contributing factor to this as well. And if you, they had extra sugar, I, and then they went in to go see a doctor, man, I'd be writing that prescription out for ADHD. You know, that, these kids are wired. So I was wondering how much of that could be controlled through healthy diet, or even if that's a consideration. It doesn't hurt. I think it's good for everybody. So I wouldn't. That's an easy one, and I wouldn't exclude it. And uh, maybe some kids are influenced 
more. I mean, some people get very, very irritable when they're hungry, and other people seem to withstand it differently. So you, it, it's the same thing with the meds. Is some people don't seem to have any side effects, and others get very noticeable side effects. So we're all so different that it, it doesn't hurt to try that. You have to wonder, too, if... Um, there's, there's a little bit of an expectation effect with all those things. Like uh, if the kid knows that when they have sugar, it's and if somebody makes a, a one thing about ADHD is you have to learn about what the the parent the kind of remarks the kids hear, hear like oh when they get sugar they're really they're really unstoppable and then the, you give a kid sugar and it's like a signal and it's already been paired with those mm-hmm. social responses and now you got the kid uh, it's like they if you tell it's you know an expectation effect that you you get with things and it's very subtle so you have to be careful on how you how you decide it's one thing or another very smart absolutely okay so we're we're a couple minutes away from the break and i really would love to know you know what are the first things that a parent can try i mean i don't want you to tell them everything that's in your book but um, besides going and getting your book, you know, what can, like, what's the thing that they should try that will prove to them that they need to go get the rest of your book? <laughs> How about okay. that? Okay. All right. Yeah, so I actually have these ten parenting principles, and any one of them are things to try. Okay. So the first one is to use coercion as a last resort. So you want to work with your child. You're not out to control your child. You're out to develop a relationship with your child. And by talking with your child in a way that's that's um, uh, kind and respectful, and to say things in a positive way rather than a negative way, so so if you and you can talk with the child about the advantages of doing things a particular way. The other important thing for a parent is a lot of these ADHD kids. They're so used to people either lecturing to them or telling them what they're doing wrong or what they have to do and what they should do. They learn to tune out very quickly. So the problem is how do you get your child to engage with you and listen while you talk so you can problem solve together. So that's the first step is how to do how to how to get your child to talk with you about how they feel. So you can work them through what they find reasonable to do. Cuz you're in it together, so you want to find out what what they don't like about their homework or how how would they go about what when would they prefer to do their homework or Mm-hmm. How do they want to go about that, or what do they want to do if they don't do their homework? Or how are they going to deal with what's going to happen to them? You help them talk through it. It's because you can threaten the kid and scare them, but what's the point? You're only going to create more uh, anxiety and avoidance behaviors, and uh, it's not going to get you where you want to go. And then it's all external motivation and extrinsic motivation instead of intrinsic motivation, anyway. And they, they you know, I I know that with. Uh, with my son, you know, my dad used to give him these really great rewards for doing great things. And, you know, by the time it was fourth or fifth grade, we were told that he was not intrinsically motivated, but that was because he was bribed. <laughs> exactly. So I there was no so point much, in doing that. I spent so much time trying to, I want, you had to ask the question, why are so many kids uh, having trouble? Some of it is what psychologists have done, which is all this, it's called contingency management, which is these rewards and punishments which mm-hmm. is basically going to get you the same outcomes as any institutional training, which is if you're not around to to manage it and control it, you're going to get all sorts of sneaking, avoidance behaviors. Because you can't have a relationship with somebody where I control your access to resources and expect to have any kind of intimacy or connection. Cause mm-hmm. you, I, you're not going to be truthful to me or even work with me because you can always worry about I'm going to take something away from you. Then you mm-hmm. learn not to do anything unless I give you something. Rather than it's just the way we take care of each other. Wow. That's absolutely the truth. I can see it in a million places. So amazing. Um, we have, uh, let's go ahead and take a break and come back for the other eight of these right after this. Do you run a home based business? Are you looking under every rock for your next superstar diamond in the rough? Are you looking for leads in all the wrong places? Look no more. If you're a seasoned entrepreneur, you know you need the right tools in place to run your online business effectively. If you're brand new at your business and you are looking for top-notch training that will take you and your sales team to the next level, for email marketing, autoresponders, lead management systems, and more, Network Leads is what you need to prospect, communicate, manage, 
and support your customers and sales organizations. Just go to www.networkleads.com forward slash the dash radio and register for your free lead management system today. You've been listening to the Dash Radio Show with hosts Don Wright DeBronce and Peter Mingles. Thanks for tuning in. To follow our every move, here's what to do. First, click follow at the top of our show. Then, hop on over and subscribe to our blog at www.thedashradioshow.com. Text DASH to 37404 for our upcoming mobile experience. And like us on facebook.com forward slash the Dash Radio. And now... Back to the show. And we're back with Dr. Craig Wiener and Parenting Your Child with ADD and ADHD. And uh, I was just mentioning in the Skype room that, you know, seriously, as a as a young parent with a kid with ADD or ADHD, you know, it's so easy to feel like a failure as a parent if you're, you know, in a disciplinarian society and a disciplinarian family because you can't control your kid. And I'm listening to you, and 20 years later, and I knew I did it all wrong with my son and that I had a million different things I would do differently. And then, of course, you know, you do them different with your next kids, but, um, you know, your first one always always is the test subject <laughs> all the trial and error. So I, I look at it now and I go, oh, my gosh, my poor son, you know, the things that he went through with us, you know, and – He's a great man, you know. So, so you know, you you thank God for for like the the mulligan. <laughs> but I I look at it and go, you know, it's just so amazing to hear you say this stuff. So I want to hear the rest of these for sure. And make sure if you're just listening in to get on over to craigweiner dot com c r a i g w i e n e r dot com and pick up this book because um, your kids will thank you later and you'll have less guilt. <laughs> When I was looking when I was looking at your background, you've been obviously doing this for a really long time. You graduated since seventy nine. You've had a lot of prestigious opportunities to be able to do amazing things. So what is what is what is um the biggest challenges maybe people facing today? We live in a very hustle and bustle world. Lots of people are really busy. The stress of I still consider a, you know, a still a recession based economy. Um, the challenges with marriages and broken families and all of the other things that you have from social networking and all of these distractions that people have, how does a, like, how does a parent maybe reverse the wrong trend that they might be on and start doing some stuff to really be able to help their kids? Because as first-time parents, like Dawn was playing around, you know, first kid, holy cow, they, they're like the guinea pig. You know, we're trying to figure this out on our own as we're trying to go through these things. But how does somebody that might find themselves in that stressful situation being pulled in every direction, somehow figure this out. Yeah, that's a, so that's a great question. Uh, if there's uh, one, only one person, one parent in the family, it's very hard because you have to coordinate everything yourself, and people are rushing along, and you know, and you get stressed when you're rushing, and everybody starts overreacting and not thinking very clearly when they're stressed out. So um, the ADHD group, for example, are um, they think that they're not. Um, uh, uh, regulating their emotions, and that's just a fancy way to say that they overreacting to all kinds of situations, very emotional way. So the parents, it's very important for parents to role model uh, calmness and uh, how to help the child learn to calm themselves down, and that'll be a really great first step. And that's difficult when everybody's trying to keep up with all these schedules. So. You know, in some ways, the kids are putting the brakes on a lot of these ways. They don't want to transition because they don't really want to do the next thing or give up what they're doing. And they don't they don't have trouble transmission, transitioning if you can take them to the toy store, but they don't want to transition. They have to pull them along to go to the next appointment all the time. So that's a hard one for families uh, to uh, to do this. Uh, I think that's getting in the way of a, a lot of what, what goes on. The, the amount of family time or eating together... Um, and having uh, time together in the evening to to uh, stay in touch with each other and to share your life together, which keeps you uh, coordinated with each other. So would a more so, simple life sometimes help? You know, it seems like as parents, if your kid's not doing sports and they're not playing music and they're not doing some extracurricular activity and if, they're not, if they don't have an appointment book, they seem like they're failing. And what I might hear from you is in some instances, 
a slower route, more traditional, more conservative, might even be better for that family. Like, slow it down, don't try to do too many things. Yeah, because the kids, you know, kids like to have time for play. That's what these Nintendo games are all about. It's a chance for the child to, to act on the world and be the one who's doing the acting, not the reacting. So if the child has to go to school all day and and they've got more appointments. There's a kind of resentment about time and schedules and the confinement of requirements. These kids are squirming to get away. It's not, they don't want to be confined and controlled. And that's even the whole problem of redundancy or repetition or lack of novelty like we were talking about earlier. It's all confining. And uh, in some ways, it, it, that's, that's a lot of the kids are objecting to, to, to that problem. In relative... In Relativity to the course in which the general population is moving, which seems to be, you know, give the kid a pill or doctor, you know, write out a prescription for something. What kind of resistance do you find, in in my opinion, a more traditional way, a more healthier way of being able to, um, to, to be able to manage these issues? Like, for instance, you know, in, in what we do with our stuff with home-based businesses, we're always fighting upstream for people to say, oh, it's easy, anybody can do it, or they say different things and the stuff isn't necessarily real or true and it's a fabricated and it's not really going to work, but it's the wrong way to do it long-term. You seem to be more of like a long-term, um, let's get things done the right way, use less medication, and it seems to me like you would be facing an upstream battle most of the time in an instant society where people are looking for a quick fix. Is that what you run across every day? Yeah, it, it, it happens a lot. But what, ha- what the other thing is, a lot of parents, you know, really want to question the medication because they they don't want to take any chances with the child. And if I help the parent understand the child and to see how these behaviors make sense in the situations they occur, the parent starts to respond to me very nicely in terms of, "Gee, this makes sense. I didn't understand that that's what they're doing." Oh, look look what I do, and they do this, and look what they do, and I do that. And then they start to see that they can manage and and uh, get different kinds of things to happen. And it doesn't have to take a long time. You, you can start to see that the child responds differently to them if they talk differently, or the child can learn that if they talk differently with their parents, the parents respond differently. And you can get results, and the hope is I get enough results quickly enough so that people are encouraged to try these new ways. But, you know, for parents, they're often threatened by schools that if the kid doesn't stop immediately, they're going to be put into a behavior disorder class, and then the parent gets scared, and the medication is going to be the quickest way there. And um, it's it's a little difficult. You have to be interested in psychology as a parent to to get into this stuff uh, and to be interested in changing your behavior. And that's part of the art of what I have to do is help work the parent through a willingness to change or and to help them see that this isn't a blame issue it's a it's just a way to help your child in a in a, in a different way and it's a way to get a nicer relationship with your child so everybody wants that so that's what I try to do with people what percentage of the without, yeah without giving us a specific percentage because I know it's a, it's a, going to be a vague question but what percentage of the population of kids out there today are being misdiagnosed well, misdiagnosis is a, is, a, is a, it's a tricky thing because if you meet the criteria for the diagnosis, you get the diagnosis. So the problem is if you don't get somebody that's careful about whether you meet the criteria or not, you might get said that you're meeting the criteria when when you're not uh, because it could because you get distractibility and hyperactivity and, and based on certain kind of life events as we were talking about earlier as well. So. If you do a careful study of the person, you can figure out are they meeting the criteria. And then if they meet the criteria, then you get the diagnosis. But it doesn't really tell you why you're doing the behaviors. It just tells you you're doing the behaviors. The diagnoses are just descriptions of, of behaviors. Got it. How much of this goes away over time? Or is it just something that you live with through adulthood until you get tired? Well, what happens is that for those lots of parents out there that they know the kid's hyperactive at first, and then as they hit the teen years, they're more lethargic and avoidant. So you go from almost, my, in my view, it's more wanting social engagement and attention to uh, avoidance of responsibility. So the, the, it, most of the people, more than half, go on. If you have a, 
childhood that's um, atypical or uh, and you have trouble, you're more likely to have an adulthood that's uh, atypical and troubled, but not everybody. Some people go on as adults and settle down beautifully. Some people struggle in school and they go back to school as adults, they get all A's. But when their parents and and were fussing about doing their work or they didn't want to do the work as a kid, they were getting very poor grades. So people people are all different in terms of their outcomes, but in general, kids with ADHD go on and still have problems all through their life. It's just different kinds of problems. Got it. So the place to start is to get your book, and we, we only made it through the first two of the ten that you um, you wanted to, to give to us. So can you give us a few more before before we we end yeah. the show? Yeah, that's great. So stay calm, we did. And the other thing is to actively address and resolve problems. So even though the parent's um, managing in a less coercive fashion, the parent is still talking with the child about um, problems that come up or, you know, gee, I'm not getting enough time to work on the computer. Let's sit down and figure out a way to share it. So the parent is doing active parenting. It's just different in terms of the amount of coercion. It's more working with the child than, than trying to control the child. And then the um, to be patient that um, these most people like New Year's resolutions you don't really change your behavior in one one trial so that lots of parents complain you know I, I talked with a kid and he sounded like he agreed and everything was great but then he went ahead and just did it anyway he didn't do what he said he was going to do that's part of what all happens to all of us is learning takes time to to get the outcomes you want so that it's something that you don't expect the one trial all the time that. Uh, immediately it's solved. And then the other thing is to talk in a um, non-evaluative way with your child. Like you talk about, gee, so this is your report card. How do you feel about your report card? Rather than uh, this is this report card's terrible. You could talk with the child about how do they feel about it or what do they want to do differently or um, how do they think this came out and how do they like the outcome of something so that it's not as always I'm saying good and bad to them all the time. It's the, I'm getting there input about how they saw it, and I'm working with them on those perspectives. Then uh, we talked about saying things positively, and then the other thing was uh, treating your child as competent to succeed. The ADHD diagnosis immediately gets parents to believe the child's uh, unable to control themselves, and then the parent starts interacting with the child as if the child can't control themselves rather than the the child can learn to self-manage and can learn to behave differently. And there's a way to interact and talk with somebody when you presume they're competent versus incompetent. The language is very different. The tone of voice is different. The other thing you're trying to do is establish buy-in for when you make decisions about family policy. Is, uh, is the child nodding, comfortable, giving a sincere okay, and you feel like they, they're with you on what we're going to do rather than just giving you this kind of yes just to get you off their back? And... Um, other ones are the fostering independence is very important. So if you go to a restaurant, can the child learn to to order their own meal rather than always order the meal for them? What can the child learn to do themselves? Can they learn to get their clothes ready in the morning? Can they learn to figure out what cue they can use instead of relying on you to say it's time to shut the TV off? How can they learn to do these things under their own cues? How can they learn to bring their backpack to school? Where can they put their backpack so they'll remember it without the parent? So these are all real great changes parents and children can make together to change many of these behaviors. Absolutely. Amazing. So, absolutely. I mean, really, this is good stuff. And um, let's go ahead and just one more time let everybody know where they can get your stuff. So get on over to www.craigweiner.com. That's C R A I G W I. E N E R dot com, and um, and the title of your book. I don't want to just b- put it all together. So give me the title of your book again. It's called Parenting Your Child with ADHD: A No Nonsense Guide for Nurturing Self Reliance and Cooperation. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it for us. We're here tomorrow night, same time, same bat channel. And uh, if I'm on the road, Peter will be here on his own. So. 
Um, we will definitely see you guys tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, though. We're on our way to Houston, and uh, we're going to be there for the next couple of weeks, so we'll be we'll be yelling at everybody from location. <laughs> Sounds like a superstar reality. Thank you so much, Dr. Craig. It's really great to meet you. Thank you so much for all you do. And everybody, pay attention to your dash. Thanks, and have a great one. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the show. At The Dash, we know that your time is precious, and your choosing to spend it with us means a lot. To get reminders for our live shows, click follow on the top of any show. Also, subscribe to our blog for articles, inspirations, and great products and services for your ever-growing business at thedashradio.com. For upcoming mobile experience, text DASH to 37404, and don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thedashradio. Again, Thanks for spending some of your dash with us. We look forward to talking with you again soon.